Turn to the book of Titus, and uh, we will resume our series. I know we started Titus two weeks ago, and then, um, and then after only one week, uh, we took a detour from the book, and now we're back into it uh, again today. And uh, our reading will be Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, which is our reading uh, a couple of weeks ago. This will be our reading again today. And so Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. And this is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. God, having heard your word, we ask you would uh, the work of the Holy Spirit would work to illuminate our minds. And God, as we look from this passage and, and other passages in your scripture, help us, um, help us to, to see and to hear and to understand and to apply uh, these truths to our lives. We thank you that you've spoken to us. We thank you that we've gotten to hear your gospel, to sing your gospel, to taste your gospel. And now, God, I pray that your good news of Christ revealed in your word will penetrate into our hearts and bear fruit, which is glorifying to you. And we pray this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen and amen. So we're in the book of Titus here, and we kind of called this... Uh, Church basics, because if we get a little refresher here, we remind ourselves that the Apostle Paul is writing to, to Titus, whom he has um, had a long friendship, a long co-working relationship with. And he had left Titus, as you would see in verse 5, he left him on the island of Crete, out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, to, uh, to plant a church, to spread the gospel there. And so what we have here in Titus is basically like a, some church basics, some church basics. What are the basics that a church, a simple, small church should should be? And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the mission of the church that we just read here. And we will look at some other things here in the next couple of weeks, like uh, the role of sound doctrine in the church. Leadership in the church, discipleship in the church. How is that taking place from one to another? The gospel, ministry and service, and our witness and our unity. All of those are, are themes, basics that churches need to know. Today, our focus will be on the second one, which is preaching. Preaching. And this is seen most clearly in verse 3. So remember, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the man, Paul, and what his mission was. That for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, 
And his message, this hope of eternal life, also has a means. And that means is expository preaching. We see in verse 3, And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Expository preaching. This is what Paul was. He was an expository preacher. Colossians 1.17. Or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 1.17. When there was a, a, an issue of division here among the church of Corinth. And people were saying, well, I follow this guy and I follow this guy. And Paul was trying to address them and bring them back into to unity. And he says, and I didn't baptize and maybe I baptized a couple people. But he goes, my main purpose is, he says in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. This was his calling, his mission in life. In a similar letter to Titus here, to the other pastoral letters, to Timothy, 1 Timothy, he goes, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. He reiterates that again in the next book, for which I was appointed an apostle and a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says these beautiful words as he's addressing uh, the elders of the church of Ephesus. He doesn't know he's ever going to see them again. And he says to them, he gives them a charge to shepherd the flock. And he says, I don't know what awaits for me when I'm going to Jerusalem. But he says in Acts 20, verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course. And the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Woe to me! If I do not preach the gospel, Paul was a preacher and he knew that uh, what God's calling was on his life. And that was to preach, to preach the gospel. What is preaching? Here's, here's a couple of words that the new Testament uses for the uh, announcement or the preaching of the gospel. One is, uh, euangelion, euangelion, which is, um, uh, or it's actually the verb is euangelizo mai is the verb, but it sounds like evangel. It's where we get the word evangel. It's the good news. It's the announcement of the good news. And in verbal form, it was this proclamation, this declaration of the good news about Christ. Another one is uh, caruso, which is the act of preaching itself or proclamating itself. Paul is stressing here to, to Titus as a part of what his calling is and laying the foundation for what he's saying to, to Titus is one of the church basics here is the importance of preaching and in particular the importance of expository preaching. What is expository preaching? Let me read to you um, some definitions from some very, some very prominent, well-known expositors pastors okay this was called by uh, a pastor named eric raymond he kind of did this work and he pulled together some of these definitions so mark dever says uh, expository preaching is 
the main point of a biblical text being considered becomes the main point of the sermon being preached. David Helm says, uh, and he uses expositional as the term here, expositional preaching is empowered preaching that rightfully submits the shape and emphasis of the sermon to the shape and emphasis of the biblical text. John MacArthur says the message clearly explains the original God intended meaning of scripture. Albert Moeller says this expository preaching is that mode of Christian preaching that takes as its central purpose, the presentation and application of the text of the Bible. All other issues and concerns are subordinated to the central task of presenting the biblical text. One of my favorite expositors who's uh, passed away many years ago now uh, is John Stott. And he says this, it is to expound scripture or to expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. I love this. I actually had the, the opportunity to hear him once and he actually described it that way uh, when I got to see him live and in person one time. He goes, the expository or expositional sermons have at its, at its root exposing the text and just showing what's there. He continues, the expositor opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is not, in, and in, unfolds what is tightly packed. It's just taking the text, opening it up, and explaining it and applying it. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher in the 20th century in England, said preaching, and I hope this would be true of me, I, I always forget this definition of it, but preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire. I love that. Preaching? What's preaching? Well, it's a, all, I like all the other guys. Well, it's opening up the text. It's expounding what's there. Martin Lowe joins. It's theology coming through a man who is on fire, and the chief end of preaching is to give men and women a sense of God and his presence. Amen. So pray, pray for me. As we're looking at these passages of scripture that you, that one, I would be on fire and that you would have a sense of God and his presence in it. So why expository preaching? Well, a couple of propositions, I think, um, that help us to, to, to understand a little bit why this preaching that is just exposing what is in the text why is that so, uh, so important and so powerful and so necessary for a church? Well, a couple of propositions here. First of all, God is true and he is truth itself or truth himself because God is a, a person. Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man, that he should change his mind. He has said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God is our speaking God, and what he says is true. God is true. And actually, that verse there in Numbers chapter 23, 
might actually be a little bit behind what Paul is saying here in verse uh, 2, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, saying the exact same thing that the Numbers 23 says. What about this, Deuteronomy 32? The rock, whose his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Isaiah 65, twice in one verse, says God is truth. Hebrews 6 says it is impossible for him to lie. So God is true. He is truth itself. And we even have in the testimony of Jesus Christ in his prayer to God the Father in John 17, when he says, and this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, the only true God. And Jesus connects himself to that too, by the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is true and is truth himself. And John says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So God is true. He is truth itself. God speaks only truth. And here's, this makes sense because he can only do according to what his nature is. God can only do things that are in accordance with who his nature is, including speaking. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. We saw in Isaiah, or excuse me, Psalms, uh, Psalm 119. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. The sum of your word is truth. Every word of God proves true. Proverbs 30, verse 5. And again, we have testimony of Jesus to this end. In that same chapter I was mentioning, John chapter 17, where he says, Asks of God for his disciples, sanctify them, cleanse them, purify them, set them apart, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So God speaks only truth. All scripture is from God. The, the gentleman in our men's study last week or a couple weeks ago, we, I had to memorize this verse. And I think it seemed like a general consensus Guys don't like to memorize things. Is this true, guys? Okay, well, true. <laughs> uh, I, so I'm nevertheless going to continue to challenge you, especially with this verse, these verses. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture breathed out by God. So if one and two and three are true, God is true. He speaks only truth. All scripture is from God. Then we would conclude God's word in scripture is true. And immediately following that classic passage that I just quoted to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's unfortunate that they don't have, in our English Bibles we have chapter breaks. And so sometimes people stop at the end of verse 17. When chapter 4 continues on 
it, it, he's continuing the argument. And he says this, in light of the fact of what he had just said about Scripture being breathed out by God, he says these words to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and in Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. See how those two passages go together. So what's expository preaching? It's exposing the scripture. Our sermons should be filled with scripture. And because of the nature of scripture as being God-breathed, then it only makes sense that when the people of God gather together, they should be hearing the word preached. Those two things go together. Okay? Preachers preach scripture. Expositors exposit scripture. Okay? We don't preach personal stories, anecdotes, illustrations. Now, we can preach topically as long as, you know, we could address various topics. We've done that from time to time, as long as it's grounded in the text of scripture. We're explaining and exposing the text of scripture. Okay? Um, so this is why we, we tend to focus on books of the Bible and go through books of the Bible because a diet, uh, and again, nothing is wrong with topical preaching, but a diet of topical preaching would be very imbalanced. Kind of like if somebody went to Chipotle every day for their meals, some conviction. Yes. Speaking from experience and the conviction of the spirit. Having, but having a one-sided diet is very imbalanced. And here's the other thing about topical uh, messages. Um, then the preacher, if he's just kind of going from topic to topic to topic, um, he will only preach on topics that he feels drawn to. And he won't be forced, as I have on numerous occasions, to be to forced to address a particular text. But they can be topical. They can also be textual topical, where you start with a text of Scripture and in expounding it and exposing it, you're drawing in other things. I think today is a, an example of one of those. But I think by and large, we should be preaching expositionally through books of the Bible. And this is all grounded in the idea of what Scripture is. The very words of God, the words of life, breathed out by God himself. Useful for all of those things, for teaching, correction, reproof, training in righteousness. What is preached? Well, as we noted, we preach the word. And all the scriptures are the good news about Jesus. So we preach Jesus. Jesus himself said that you search the scriptures because you think that by them you will gain eternal life. Yet the scriptures are all about me and you, religious leaders of the day, refuse to come to me to have life. They're all about Jesus. So we preach Christ. We preach Christ. Paul said in Galatians that God was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him to the Gentiles. We preach Christ and his cross. 1 Corinthians 1 
Paul says these words, but we preach Christ and him crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. We preach Christ's resurrection. Now, if Christ, this is Paul again writing in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He was using this as an argument to to talk about the factual reality of the resurrection of the dead. But he's saying the resurrection of Christ is so integrally linked to the preaching of the message. And we preach Christ and his coming again. So what is what is a preacher's job? Well, it's not to please men. It's to please Christ. Now, you, you may be tempted to, to think, well, this, this sounds really great, Aaron. Are you, like, are you teaching a class here for preachers on the importance of preaching and for preachers? What, what is, uh, uh, maybe many of you are in the room here going, I- I'm not going to be a preacher. Uh, so what does this emphasis on expository preaching have to do with me? There are uses in this teaching about expository preaching for expositors. But there's also some uses here for listeners, for listeners. So don't think, oh, this sermon is for preachers. Uh, No, this has use and application for all of us. Because to understand the nature of what preaching is will help you to understand your role as a listener. Have you ever thought that you actually have a responsibility and you play a role when you gather together? Not just sitting passive and and listening or nodding off, but that you come ready because of the nature. So what I just said about scripture being breathed out by God, therefore the role of the preacher should be to preach that because why would you want to preach something else than, than what God himself has given? Then when the listeners come, you realize and you understand, wait a second, when I'm coming, I'm not just coming to hear a guy give a TED talk. I'm coming to hear the word of the living God expounded for me. So there's a use here. The use here is for you. And I, I found this uh, very helpful here. This is from the, the Westminster Larger Catechism. And it's asking this question. So, so churches have been dealing with this, uh, the importance of, of the role of the hearer in the preaching of the gospel for some time. And I love that they have they actually included this in their larger catechism. What is required of those who hear the word preached? I love this answer. It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Let me break this down for us in three stages here. Okay, 
it, my fancy terminology for each of these stages. Before, during, and after, okay? I couldn't alliterate these. I, I just could not improve upon this. Before, I love this. They attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. So responsibility of the hearers of God's word, know that they're coming to gather to hear God's word. You have a responsibility. And here's the beginning. Before you even arrive, to attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. So get good rest the night before. Preparation for gathering to hear God's word starts the night before. I remember hearing this in a chapel message, and I thought, and that was a really new insight for me that like, oh, uh, maybe I should be, you know, staying out late, partying, and then when I wake up, I'll rub the sleep out of my eyes, oh, and then I'll go to church. The, to, to actually have some expectation and preparation for it. And so I did. I remember doing that even the nights before we'd have chapel in college to prepare Prepare yourself to hear the word, okay? It's like an athlete. Uh, to not be preparing yourself to hear the word would be like an athlete just showing up on the field and just jumping in ready to, to start playing, okay? You could, you could biblically pull a muscle if you're not, uh, not ready. And prayer. I love this prayer. Lord, give me ears to hear and eyes to see the wondrous things out of your word. Maybe that could be your, your prayer on a Saturday night or your prayer first thing on a Sunday morning. Lord, give me ears to hear and eyes to see the wondrous things out of your word. So that's before. How about during? Examine what you hear by the scriptures. Okay, so there's, there's two parts here during the during. This is the paying attention part. The taking notes part. The testing scripture with scripture. I love this. Examine what you hear by the scriptures. So if I say something that is not in accordance with the scriptures, search the scriptures. If I say something that causes you to have a question, write that question down. Search it. I love Acts chapter 17, describing Paul's missionary journeys. He had just been in Thessalonica where the, the Jewish... Uh, crowd in Thessalonica had kind of run them out of the synagogue. They didn't like what Paul was preaching, so they went down to Berea, and it says, and the Bereans were of a more noble character, for they, they, they heard what Paul said and diligently searched the scriptures to see what he was saying was true. I love that. I take, uh, personally, I take no uh, offense at anything, if you are looking at something in scripture and want to come up and talk to me about it, I would really appreciate it. If you do have a pressing question, get here quick before Brandon. <laughs> but I love this. I love that asking, but you may want to get here fast because Brandon will be around unless Rosie pulls him out. <laughs> so examine the scriptures. Examine the scriptures. And that, but this is not just what we do with a critical mind, by the way. Okay? Notice how they continue on. We, we also do this. And receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Okay? 
So be critical, examine it. If you have questions, you want to understand because this is, this is revealing, God is revealing himself to us. And so we want to understand. We want our minds to be shaped by the word. We want to be critical in examining what is said. And we want to uh, interpret scripture with scripture. We want to search it to see if it's true. Uh, but we don't want to stay in the critical realm. We want, to, we want it to be a heart thing too. We receive the truth with faith, love, meekness. Notice the effective terms here. Faith, love, and meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. I just mentioned the Thessalonians. when Paul. I mentioned the Bereans as Paul left Thessalonica. But I love the words that Paul was writing to those who did receive his word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's giving thanks to the Thessalonian church. And he says this, it's fantastic. Uh, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as a word of men, but as it as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Love that. We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. We gather together, we come, and we'll hear from a man, you're hearing from me, a, a, a fallible human person right now, but when, uh, but when we're opening up the words, you're hearing the word of God. And Paul's praise to the church at Thessalonica was that word is doing a work in you, and you received it for what it was. That's from God. That's from God. So during, so, so before, attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Before, during, examine what you hear in the scriptures with a critical mind and a receptive heart. Receive it with faith, love, and meekness as the word of God. And then after, and here I'll give you three M's. First one is meditate. Meditate and confer of it. So think about it. When you leave here, don't just kind of go toss that into the, the mental garbage bin. If you've taken some notes, maybe you go review your notes at home when you get home. When you're gathering around the table afterward, talk about it. Parents, you could ask your kids. So what was the one thing that you remember Pastor Aaron saying today? He eats too much Chipotle. They'd press for another question, another answer. No, what about the sermon? So meditate on it. Just kind of ponder it. Think about it. Talk about it. Ask questions. Confer with one another about it. And then, guys, sorry. Sorry. Memorize it. The statement goes on to say it. And hide it in your hearts. Hide it in your hearts. Maybe there could be something in this passage that you can hide in your heart. Which God who never lies promised before the ages began. We'll get to that, we'll get to that more in a moment. here. So meditate, memorize, and manifest. 
Bring forth the fruit of it in your lives. I love the, the image of, that Jesus gave in the parable of the sowers and the parable of the soil. The parable of the sower and the parable of the soils. And the parable went out and he sowed a seed. You know, it fell on this kind of soil and fell on this kind of this soil and this kind of soil. And then the fourth soil was the good soil, which it uh, bore fruit. And in one gospel, it describes it as the message of the kingdom. Another one, it says the word of God, that seed is the word of God. I love that picture because that metaphor of this being the seed that goes into the ground and bears fruit. Tenfold. Fiftyfold. Hundredfold. So manifest it. Confer about it. Meditate on it. Put it into your heart. And then look for ways to bring forth that fruit. To apply what it says. And here's some questions that I've given you that are in the handout. If you have the handout here, here's some, uh, some questions that I've kind of taken from various sources and then edited down, uh, mainly from a guy named Matt Harmon. I should give, give him credit here. But I've, I've massaged some of these and I've rearranged them uh, a little bit into another way. And so here's eight questions to think about. Whenever you come across any passage uh, of Scripture, you could use this in your private time of study and reading God's Word. But these would be great questions to ask in the, uh, the aftermath of a sermon. And so here's, here are the questions. And it's broken up into meaning and application. What did it mean? And what does that mean for me? What is, how do I apply it? What did I learn about God? Or Jesus? Or the Holy Spirit? What did I learn about people? Or humanity in general? But me in particular? What do I learn about relating to God? What do I learn about relating to others? And then the application part was, what does God want me to understand or to think about what I just read and heard? What does God want me to believe? What does God want me to desire? What, what affections? I like that term, affections. And lastly, what does God want me to do? Kids, I put one down here for you too. So kids, if you've got a handout with you, turn there. If not, lean over next to your parents. Here are great questions to ask whenever you're reading a passage of scripture or you're hearing a sermon. And it's, uh, the acronym here is Space Pets. How many of you have ever heard this before? No? Space Pets? I actually still use this sometimes. This, I think, is a throwback from my junior high uh, pastor days. Okay? And here, here they are. Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a truth to believe? Is there something for which to praise God? Is there a sin to confess, a promise to, to, to claim, an attitude to change, a command to obey, an example to follow, a prayer to pray? Is there an error to avoid, a truth to believe, and is there something for which to praise God? You could probably add more terms, questions here 
but uh, I think that's a, a good way of moving to the application of reading your Bible and uh, applying it to your life, and it's a good way to also apply to sermons as well. So for in this passage, I started to think of a couple of examples. You know, is there, is there, and you don't have to have an answer for every single one of these. But you should have an answer for at least one or two or three. Is there a sin to confess in Titus 1, 1 through 4? Is there a promise to claim? I like this one, right? The hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. There's a promise there. Promise that your God who speaks to you never lies. You have anyone else in your entire life who never lies to you? You have a God who never does. And so you can trust everything he says. That's a promise to, to, to claim. Is there an attitude to change? A command to obey in this passage. An example to follow. Should we follow Paul's example? Is there a prayer to pray? You get the idea. But friends, this is one of the the foundational basics for, for any church. It should be for every church. The expository preaching of God's word. A scripture saturated sermons. And that you have responsibility as hearers of God's word when you come together, both before, in preparation, during, in critical thinking and receptive hearts, and afterward, as you meditate and memorize and manifest its truth in your lives. Amen? God, make that so. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, that we still are fallible human beings who still are, even though we are um, a new creation in Christ, still struggle with the flesh and our sin nature. God, we always could use reminding of that this scripture is your word. Thank you that we have the the privilege to hear from you when we gather together. And God, we pray that you would make us attentive listeners when we come to hear your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Friends, would you stand for our our closing benediction as we send you? Again, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to come on up. I'd love to talk with you. If you have any prayer concerns or prayer requests, I'd love to to hear those uh, as well. And... um, and then uh, also, don't forget the offering box is, is out in the hallway um, uh, to worship in that way as well. Um, now, friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we share in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.